Tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock in Arlington National Cemetery and in countless other places around this nation, many will gather to celebrate Veterans Day and to honor those men and women who have served and continue to serve in the armed forces of this country. It is appropriate and fitting that we salute all those, and particularly members of our own church family here at St. John's, who gave and still give for their country. But it's also a time for reflection upon, and sometimes grief for, those who did not return. At Arlington, the focus on the tomb of the unknown soldier and the time of the wreath-laying both recall the First World War. But, as you all know, at Arlington there also lie veterans of the earlier Civil War, as well as those of later wars. This is not a moment, not a day, for triumphalism and celebration, so much as one for remembrance and gratitude but a remembrance forever tinged with sadness, not just for those who died, but also for the reasons for their death. War is a difficult, almost impossible topic for Christians. Some of our greatest theologians, including St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas, have sought to articulate a just war theory. But even then, something still disturbs us in the back of our minds. How can a God of love allow war to exist? Or have we in fact got God wrong? Is our God truly the God of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? The God who used the Babylonians to punish the sinful Israelites, his chosen people? Or, in the end, is war the final nail in the coffin of the idea of God? In the Scottish philosopher David Hume's famous formulation, is God willing to pre prevent evil but not able? Then he is impotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both willing and able? Then why does evil exist? Where can God be in this violence? I'll come back to the sacrifice of our veterans in a moment, but on this question of war and God, I want to talk about the gospel passage. Because I think the answer to the questions above is this, and simply this, that war comes from humans, not from God. The passage from Luke shows an influential Jewish group called the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, questioning Jesus about which of seven brothers would be married in heaven to the same woman to whom each of them had been married in turn on earth. But their effort to catch Jesus out, in that they only end up getting spectacularly drunk on their own logic. Teacher, they say somewhat insincerely, teacher, what about, as they play out a patently absurd situation? Absurd in two senses. First, because it suggests an un a highly unlikely turn of events, but also absurd because it misunderstands the purpose of the Torah, the law of Moses, 
which is to honor God by restraining our worst impulses and by protecting the vulnerable. But their love of logic and their worship of the rules leads the Sadducees to a nonsensical place, which may also be a working definition of war. Wars may be driven by pride, by hatred, by greed, but they are also almost always driven by false reasoning and logic. We justify war by oxymorons, by the need to be cruel to be kind, by the need for purging fire that heals and purifies, by the need to destroy something to protect it. And we justify war by faulty logic, the bureaucratic logic in 1914 of unstoppable train timetables, the perverted logic in the 1930s of Germany's need for room to live, the faulty logic in the 1960s of falling dominoes in East Asia. We take an idea into absurdity and then we make it reality. But Jesus tells the Sadducees and us in this passage that that is of humanity, not of God. We can all get caught up in this, not just our leaders, not just the politicians, not just the generals, but all of us. It is inside of us. It is not from God. But I want to return to the idea of sacrifice and service, to return to those who served and have, who, who serve and have served. Because if the mad logic of the Sadducees, the logic that leads to war and to the violence and hatred that unleashes, is the worst of us, then our veteran sacrifice and service is the best of us. In the hill town of Kahima in northeast India, close to the Burmese border, there's a small war cemetery where Allied soldiers lie next to the Japanese that they fought. At the center of that cemetery, there's a memorial which bears the following words. When you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, we gave our today. In those 16 words, you have all that is good in those who serve. Nothing bombastic or belligerent, nothing hateful or spiteful, nothing self-pitying or resentful. Simply a request to the comrades who returned from those who fell to let their families, friends, and communities back home know that it was for them that they laid down their lives. A request of what they did not be forgotten, but also not misunderstood. They didn't want to die, but they made that sacrifice not for an abstract principle, but so that others might have a better, more peaceful tomorrow. These words, this epitaph, are not a call for vengeance and reprisal. They are a call to honor those who served and died by remembering that they were the best that they could be. It is a call to us to honor them by being the best that we can be. But, you might say, looking around the world today, this cycle of violence, reprisal, revenge, 
and the logical justifying absurdities that pull us back to violence, this cycle seems unbreakable. Can any sacrifice today make for a better tomorrow? Or does today's sacrifice simply proceed, perhaps even foretell, another sacrifice tomorrow? Is this never ending? I don't think so. Partly for a human reason. By remembering and keeping in perspective the sacrifice past and present of our veterans, but also for a godly one that relates to the nature of the future. Because of our God, the future does not have to be, ultimately will not be, the same as the present and the past. It's not a question of logic, false or real. It's not a question about the ability of human rules to keep us in check or to keep us out of sin. It's about what God will do for us, about what he has already done for us. Because the death of Jesus on the cross changed everything. And again, our gospel story talks to this. You can't predict the future based on the present, Jesus tells the Sadducees, because that's not what God has in mind. Therefore, what happens in this age, in the present time, will not be the same as what happens in the future age, in the resurrection to eternal life. All will change, and the human rules, the human imperfections, the pride, the greed, the violence will no longer exist. The eternal life brought by Jesus' violent death on the cross, that brings an end to violence. Open your eyes, he says to them, says to us, and see what the future might look like. Beyond a simple continuation of the past, beyond human rules, beyond human logic. But this is not just a hope for the future. It is a hope for today. Because of the vision we have been granted, the future we have already been permitted to see. In today's epistle reading, St. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica that there will be tough times, times of lawlessness, likely times of violence. But because of the price already paid by Christ, because of his sacrifice on the cross, the Thessalonians should keep faith, supported by the Holy Spirit. As Christians, he says, we are never bound by the past or the present because in almost every way, we are pure future. So we thank and honor our veterans for what they have done for us in the past and what they do now. But because of what our God has also done for us, we can start to construct a future where no one has to give their today for another's tomorrow. Because that was already done 2,000 years ago, once for everyone and forever by the Son of God on a wooden cross outside Jerusalem. Amen.